Okay. We, uh, we've been working through Hebrews. We're actually going to take a Sunday off from that. One of the ruling elders has asked me uh, to talk about children and worship. Of course, uh, if you aren't aware, uh, Pastor Nathan is teaching another Sunday school class this morning. It's a three-week class that he's doing. This is week two. Uh, it's particularly geared towards uh, families with smaller children. Anyone is welcome to be in there. Uh, we're going to take just this morning in here to talk about the, the same thing, uh, because children in worship is not just a, uh, an area of concern for those parents who have young children, but for all of us who are together in worship. So we want to talk about that for a few minutes. I wanted to point out uh, before we start, for those of you who aren't aware, that last hymn that we sang, uh, which is titled, I Greet Thee, Who My Sure Redeemer Art, uh, is, uh, we're, we're fairly certain, was written by Calvin when he was pastoring in Strasbourg. Uh, you may remember Calvin's story. Calvin, of course, is famous for leading the church in Geneva, but, uh, but at, at a certain point they kicked him out. Um, it's always interesting to see how little things have changed in uh, church, in, in ministry, uh, and so they, they kicked him out. Uh, a couple of years later, they realized their error and asked him to come back. And, and in a letter to them, in response, Calvin says, basically, uh, I, I would rather die a thousand deaths by, uh, by razor cuts with alcohol poured over me than come back and minister to you. But since you asked, I will. Um, <laughs> He's also famous for, for climbing into the pulpit his first uh, sermon back and saying, I believe the last time we were together, we were working our way through a particular book of the Bible. And he just picked up where he left off as if nothing had happened. And so, but while he was in Strasbourg, one of the things that, uh, that the Reformation did is reformed uh, music in worship. And uh, they did that in two ways in particular. One was, uh, was by recovering the singing of the psalms for the people, which is something that in the medieval Roman Catholic Church had been relegated to uh, monastic work. The, the, the monks in the monasteries would sing through the psalms, but the people did not sing through the psalms in worship. So they recovered that. Uh, they also uh, began to write hymns for the church to sing, all part of, uh, of a return both to uh, the scriptures recovering the scriptures for the people in worship, uh, uh, but also recovering congregational singing. Uh, the, the medieval Roman Catholic Church, even in its regular corporate worship, uh, had essentially relegated the congregational singing portion to professional choirs who would do the singing. So there wasn't a great deal of, of congregational singing in the Roman Catholic Church in the medieval era. So the, this was a big part of the Reformation. We tend to focus on Luther and here I stand and I can do no other and uh, you know, salvation by, uh, by faith alone and, and the solas and, and the theological Reformation that was taking place. But there's a doxological Reformation as well. And uh, a part of that, again, uh, was writing hymns. This is Calvin's contribution. He may have written others, but this is the only one that we, uh, we have significant confidence he wrote. And as we sang it this morning, it's set to a tune that, uh, that appeared in the Genevan Psalter in 1551, which was also during Calvin's ministry there. I don't know if in Calvin's time in either Strasbourg or Geneva they sang these words uh, to this tune, 
Of course, uh, Calvin wrote the tune in, or the uh, text in French originally, uh, and you can see that Elizabeth Smith translated it in the uh, in the nineteenth century. So, anyways, always fun to to get a little background of those things. Let me pray for us, and we'll talk about children in worship this morning. Father, thank you for time together to consider your word, to consider. Uh, the life to which you've called us. Uh, we thank you for the children that belong to our church, these covenant children uh, who are given to their families and to our church as a blessing. Uh, Father, we, uh, we pray that we would love them well, that we would faithfully minister to them. Uh, Father, that we would love these families as they raise their children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Uh, we pray that all of us together, uh, in obedience to you and out of love for one another, uh, would help to raise these little ones up in Christ. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, um, children in worship. So this is, this is not a uh, specifically Presbyterian concern. Uh, we're not the only church that does this or has wrestled with how to do it well. Uh, there are other traditions. In fact, as I was preparing for this morning, uh, this week, one, one of the best articles I came across on the subject of little ones in worship was actually written by a pastor in the, uh, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, uh, who did a, a fantastic job putting together a little art, article on the subject. Uh, and so I just want to walk through it uh, this morning, kind of following a, a series of questions now, we, as you know, our practice is to encourage parents to bring their children into our corporate worship on Sunday mornings. We do provide a, another place for children, uh, ages uh, birth through about five years old, four or five years old. We do that because we, we recognize that, uh, that there are times when children need to, uh, to not be in worship, times when parents need that alternative in order to help them in the process of raising their children up and teaching them to worship. It's something children grow into, uh, but we do encourage them to be in here. And you've heard uh, in our corporate worship the sounds of little children crying and, uh, and fighting and arguing and, uh, you know, uh, generally being disruptive. And so one of the things that we wanted to do is because we're intentional about children being in worship, we want to equip families with little children uh, the, the idea isn't just for them to be here in worship, but being in worship with us, uh, that they would be trained in worship. Why are we here? What are we doing? So that's, that's what Pastor Nathan's leaning into in particular, is, is helping the families that have these younger children think through why they're here and how to spend this time as parents of little children in order to faithfully uh, direct their children into the worship of God. But uh, it is, as I said earlier, uh, a thing that affects all of us. Uh, all of us hear the, the little ones. Uh, you, you may have a family that sits near you and you've found it distracting uh, as they, they attempt to train their children up uh, in the pew, so to speak. Um, and so I, we wanted to take just one Sunday and talk to the rest of you about why we do what we do. So the first question is, should children be in corporate worship? And if so, why? We believe they should be, because they're members of the covenant people of God and ought to worship Him with the rest of His people. So this is a particularly Presbyterian perspective. We believe that our children 
are having been born into a Christian home are members uh, by covenant. God made a covenant with everyone who believes together with them and their children. So our children aren't just also present. They are as much a part of this community as the rest of us are by covenant with God. And for that reason, we, we believe that they ought to be taught how to worship, uh, and they ought to be a part of our worship. Uh, we believe that children should be in worship because they will learn best how to worship God by being in worship with God's people. In fact, there's been, uh, this is, is more of a sociological observation, but, uh, but those who pay attention to such things have begun over the last decade or two to realize how much the worship of the church has been influenced by the youth ministry culture of the 70s and the 80s. We pulled youth out of corporate worship, we being the evangelical church, pulled youth out of the corporate worship of the, the, the whole church and began to provide them with youth worship. So they were, while the adults were together worshiping, there was a youth worship service in the church. This was very common in evangelical churches. And in the youth worship, they attempted to, uh, to formulate that worship, to design that worship so that it would feel uh, familiar to the youth. Uh, it would be someplace that they were comfortable, that was easy for them to access the truth that was being proclaimed. And so they were using a lot of popular music. Uh, and I, I, I want to be careful. I'm not suggesting that this is the worst thing that's happened in the evangelical church ever. I'm not even really making a statement about the rightness or the wrongness of it, except to point to the, the I think, undeniable effect of it is that the youth of the 70s and 80s, which I'm a part of, the youth of the 70s and 80s have grown up to be the ministers of the church today. And so if you've, you've been out there in broader evangelicalism, you'll know that the far and away the most common uh, worship style out there right now in evangelicalism is a style that it, it doesn't mimic. It is just lock, stock, and barrel. The, the youth service of the 80s moved into the sanctuary on Sunday morning. Now, why? Why? It's because that's what they know. That's what they learned. And if it was good enough for them as youth, why is it not good enough now for everybody? Uh, they, what they did, and this is the point I want to make. Again, I'm not trying, my, my focus isn't on the question of was that right or wrong. I want you to see the connection. Why do evangelical churches worship the way they do now? It's because that's how they were taught to worship. Their leadership was taught to worship when they were youth. It's almost as if you train a child up in the way he, will, he should go and he will not depart from it, right? That's what happened. We, the evangelical church, trained the youth up to worship God this way, and they've not departed from it. Uh, and so, again, I want to I be very clear. The issue today, this morning, our concern is not to, to ask the question, was that a good thing in particular with that generation? It's to point out that there is a reality that the way we train our children now will determine in large part what it looks like for them to worship later. And so understanding that, uh, we believe strongly that it's important that our children are in worship with us now as a general rule. 
We believe that children should be in worship because we are reminded each week by seeing and hearing them that God has blessed His church with covenant children, uh, that they are here, that we ought to be instructing them and raising them up. Uh, We're reminded that we might be the church now, but we are not the church, at least the visible church on earth, forever. There's a day coming when not a single one of us in here will be alive on earth anymore. And our children will be leading the church and filling the church. Uh, and so that's, that's not a, a, a mere chronological fact. The truth of what I just said places a burden on us now to raise that generation up to believe and to worship according to God's word. And so we believe that that is best accomplished by having them in here with us each week. Of course, perhaps the the most important answer to the question is, yes, they ought to be in here because we believe Scripture teaches it. Scripture supports it. Uh, I quoted Proverbs 22 a second ago, train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he's old, he will not depart from it. Uh, Listen to God in Deuteronomy chapter 6. We we are all fairly familiar, I think, especially if you've grown up in the church, with the Shema, the Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Uh, But in the verses that follow, listen to the instruction that's given. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9. Do you, do you hear how God is saying this is, is to be a part of the warp and the woof of your home of your life. Children are to be hearing the words of God. Now, we combine that also with our understanding that everything that, that we do as a community, either as, as a, a local church or in our homes, flows out of our corporate worship on Sunday mornings. Uh, that corporate worship is the, the time, the place, the activity that grounds us in the gospel. It's that weekly reminder of uh, who God is and what God has done and who we are and why we need Christ. Uh, and so it's, it's out of the context of corporate worship that we go out into the world and live our lives week in and week out. If children are to be raised up as described in Deuteronomy, where is that more carefully, more faithfully accomplished than together in corporate worship on Sunday morning? It's not to say there's no other place that that's happening. There's, there are other places. In fact, one of the things that Nathan is going through with the, the adults in the other room, with the parents over there, is that training your child up to worship God doesn't begin at 9 a.m. on Sunday morning and end somewhere around 10:15. But it's something that you're doing all week long. You're anticipating it and you're living out of it, moving towards it and away from it. So we see that that this is consistent with what God has commanded. Listen to Psalm 78. Psalm 78, this is the beginning, near the beginning of the psalm, and it's going to go on to describe the history of Israel uh, up to this point. Uh, And it's it's a a very honest assessment of the history of Israel. 
And this is what the psalmist says, we will not hide them, that is, these facts, these truths about who we are and who God is, we will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers to teach their children. Here the psalmist is actually thinking of Deuteronomy 6, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. So we're not only told here in Psalm 78 that we are to tell the next generation, but we're told both what happens when we will tell the next generation and what happens when we won't tell the next generation. And again, it's not that corporate worship is the only place they can hear it, but it's the, the, the primary. There's a primacy to hearing this truth in corporate worship on Sunday, out of which all of the other tellings flow. So we see that in Psalm 78. Jesus actually has quite a bit to say about children. Matthew, of all the gospel writers, picks up on it. In fact, it, it, when you study just the issue of Christ and the, the words he has to say, uh, to the, the things he has to teach us about children, you actually begin to see a thematic thread. There's something Christ is doing as he works up to a moment. And he says in Matthew 18, See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Children are, are incredibly important to God. Then chapter 19, also Matthew, Matthew 19, Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. Before I keep reading, I want to point out to you that laying his hands on them is an act of blessing. It's an acknowledgement that the children being brought to him and placed in his lap belong to the covenant. He's issuing covenant blessings to this, these children the disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And then in Matthew 21, But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the Son of God, they were indignant, and they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you not read? Out of the, mouths, out of, the mouth of infants and nurse, nursing babes, you have prepared praise. Our children are not too young to lift up their voices in praise to God, and where ought they to do that if not in corporate worship together with the rest of His people? So we, we see this pattern in Scripture that children belong to the covenant people of God and that they are to raise up their voices in praise to Him. So should children be in corporate worship on Sundays? We, we believe the answer is yes. Uh, and so, what then are the benefits to bringing our children into corporate worship on Sunday morning? I'm going to pause here uh, and, and ask if there are any questions on that first point, and also to invite you to answer the question, what are the benefits of having our children together with us in worship? Any verses you feel like I completely overlooked? that would have just been a slam dunk on the question of children and worship? Anything that came to mind that I didn't mention? Okay, what are the benefits of having our children in corporate worship? I think an obvious benefit is they see you worship. 
So it's yeah. made by example. Mm -hmm. it, it looks real instead of something we just go and sit and do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. So th they, they see it modeled. Uh, and they see it modeled by their parents. That's where our mind probably goes first. They're standing there with their parents. They look up. They see their parents. They hear their parents as they confess their sins, as they confess their faith, as they sing praise to God. Uh, they, they see this modeled by their parents. But especially in community with one another, they see their pastors doing it. They see their elders doing it. They see other adults doing it that they look up to. Uh, they, they have a community of people. This isn't just my family. This isn't just something that we do because we're weird, right? Uh, this is not something that we do and nobody else does. We, as a family, belong to a community of people who know this Christ, who believe these same things, and who worship this God as we worship Him, right? So you've got the advantage of it being modeled for them by their parents, but also by all of the other adults in their community here in the church. What else? What are some other benefits of having children together with us in corporate worship? Well, I think it can help us to see other, you know, I'm past that stage, well past that stage, but I can watch other parents and know in my mind I've been there, I've done that. It helps me to remember to pray for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, it helps us to remember to pray for them, encourage them, support them. It's an opportunity, and this is a, a, a different answer, but so close to that answer that I want to pull them both together. It's also an opportunity for us to help them, right? And I've kind of got some of that in my notes a little further down, so I'm not going to explore it in detail now. Uh, but by having them in here, we are reminded that there are children in our, our covenant family here, in our community, uh, that they are learning to worship God. Uh, it's a reminder that God's been uh, uh, merciful towards us, that he has blessed us as a community with these covenant children. Uh, to, to put this in, uh, in contrast with the, the reality in some congregations, there are some congregations out there that don't have any children in them. And you think, wait, how does that even happen? They, something about the ministry of that church, uh, they, they don't draw in younger families. Uh, it's a huddle of people who were probably all of childbearing age when they started, uh, but they've aged together in this congregation, and for whatever reason, they've not drawn in younger families, and there are no, no children in their congregation. That's a reality, right? I think it's easy for us to assume all churches have little children. It's not true. I know it's not true. I've had friends who planted churches who purchased their building from a congregation that, that died, both because they weren't doing evangelism and drawing in and growing the kingdom of God that, by that means, and they weren't having children. And so the church wasn't growing through that means either. And it just got older and smaller and older and smaller until they just they couldn't even afford to pay the taxes on the property anymore, and they had to sell it. Uh, that is a reality in the world. The fact that there are children in our congregation is a blessing from God. 
and so we are reminded of that truth, and, uh, and in being reminded, we're thankful that he has uh, he's blessed us in that way. We're reminded, uh, does anybody here remember the vow that you as a member of All Saints, if you're not a member of All Saints or you've never been here for a, a baptism, this might be new to you, but do you remember the vow you as a congregation take when we baptize a little one? You take a vow to come alongside the parents of this little one and to assist them in raising this child up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now, again, just like there's a lot of opportunities for a child to be taught how to worship outside of corporate worship, there are a lot of opportunities for you to keep that vow outside of corporate worship, but where better to keep that vow than in corporate worship, right? So that you've got a family in front of you with little ones and, and maybe three or four or five or six little ones, right? Uh, and, and the parents are doing all they can to raise the children up, but they may need a hand, right? Uh, our natural tendency, I think, as human beings, is to sit behind such a family and grumble because it's distracting to us, and Pastor Nathan's preaching a fantastic sermon, but I can't hardly follow the line of it because I can't, I can't pay attention to him. I'm constantly being distracted by the family in front of me. Uh, and to, to live right there in that, uh, and maybe next Sunday we're going to find a different place to sit so we're not distracted by this, this family that can't get it together, right? Now, I'm not saying that that's how everyone reacts or how anyone reacts all the time, but it is one possible reaction uh, and one that we should avoid. So uh, that, that actually leads us into our next question, which I don't want to go to too quickly, which is what are the challenges? Uh, what are the other benefits of having them in worship? I would say that it reminds our children that they are valuable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To be part of worship because he loves them. Yeah. He believes that they're significant. Yeah, that's right. There's there is a dynamic that's quite common in Christian families, uh, if not universal. This these little ones they're growing up, and there is a point up to which this is their parents' faith. Uh, a point up to which they begin to ask the question: Is this my faith? And I would argue that radical segregation in our ministry on Sunday mornings reinforces the idea that somehow it's different for them. Somehow they are other. And a day is coming, perhaps, maybe subconsciously they recognize, a day is coming when I'll get to be in there with them and I'll belong to them, but right now I don't belong to them, I belong to this group, right? That, that's, there's an implicit message in this. When on a Sunday morning, you arrive and you drop your children off in children's ministry and you don't see them again until you pick them up to go get in the car and go home. We've made them other for the entire Sunday morning, right? So there's, there's a value in bringing them in here because it says to them, no, you don't belong out there. You belong in here. You're a part of us. This ministry is to you. One of the things, uh, Pastor Nathan and I have been discussing this and, uh, and talking also with Sarah Banks about it. Um, 
I, I think Pastor Nathan and I are, are, are going to be committing to, to being much more intentional on Sunday mornings about addressing the children in our sermon. Uh, we're not going to do a, a Sunday evening type thing where we, we bring the children for a lesson. But we want to be sure that, by, that, that in the way that we preach, the children in the room know that we're speaking to them too. We're not just speaking to their parents. We tend to pitch the sermon uh, at a, a certain level of, of spiritual maturity, of, uh, of you know, a certain educational level, uh, and, and frankly, that level is typically over the heads of our children. Uh, and there, there's, that's not entirely all by itself wrong, right? We, we, we don't want to always and only preach to six-year-olds in corporate worship. But there are ways that we can also say to them in the midst of that that we're talking to them too, right? We want to be more intentional about that in our sermons. What other benefits do we derive from having our children in corporate worship with us? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like culture shock, mm-hmm. but if we're bringing them in consistently from birth, it might be over their heads. But they see and they hear how worship is done, mm-hmm. and if in a church that teaches and preaches the word, they see from the word how God has said this is how we will worship Him, and it's not a foreign thing later on when they're brought in mm-hmm. for them to adjust to. Right. Yeah, I mean, they're going to have to learn it at some point, right? Uh, and particularly for those of you who are parents that have gotten at least one child through the teenage years, you know that the teenage years aren't the easiest years to introduce new information to your child about things that, that are in the realm of ought, right? Uh, they, they're, they're not as open to, uh, to being told how things are supposed to be as, uh, as teenagers. And that often continues in, into their 20s until their brain finishes developing. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, one of the places that you, you may have learned this is with family worship. If you, if you do family worship in the home and you've been doing it since your, your children were little, then when they arrive at those teenage years, it's not a new thing. It's what you've always done as a family. They may or may not like it. They, they may change their view or attitude about it, but it's not new. But if you are in a family that hasn't done family worship and you are, are becoming aware of this thing, family worship, and you decide you're going to implement it uh, in your home and you've got children who are already by nature, by, you know, uh, as a function of the, the age and stage they're at, uh, already beginning to test boundaries and to, uh, to just generally uh, express more rebellion more consistently, that's a difficult time to introduce something like family worship 
Whereas if you've done it earlier, it's a little easier. And the, the same thing is true for corporate worship. Bringing them in when they're young, I think, is, uh, it presents challenges. But in, uh, relative to later in their lives, it's easier. Um, okay, so for time's sake, we're going to move on. What are some of the challenges? So the noise, right? Uh, Nobody goes from not knowing how to do something to doing it, you know, just perfectly well. Uh, that's, a, that, that's a very unusual thing to happen in anybody's life. And as parents, we, uh, we know this. As children, they often don't. They expect to be good at something the first time they try it. Uh, but but we, are, we know better as adults. And so we shouldn't expect our children to come into worship and understand that they need to be quiet and they need to pay attention and all of the things that make for a very uh, uh, beneficial experience and participation in corporate worship. Uh, they don't know these things. They're learning these things. And so uh, one of the challenges is that it's not easy. There's, it's a challenge for those parents. Some of you are beyond this stage, but you remember it. Some have not been through it. Uh, but one of the difficulties for parents in this is that for a season, and that season may last for years, uh, for a season, their, their focus is divided in corporate worship. Uh, they may not be deriving as much blessing from the corporate worship as they would otherwise be because of the attention they're having to give to their children to train them up in how to worship. We need to, uh, to encourage the families of little ones who are in this season uh, that it is a season. It's not always going to be this way. And that there is a, a, a dying to self that is right in losing that benefit, that blessing personally for the sake of training your child up to worship God well, Right? Uh, yeah, yeah, you are making a sacrifice. That's what's true for those parents. They are making a sacrifice. There's no denying it, uh, but it's a good sacrifice. It's an appropriate sacrifice, and it's one that we ought to be encouraging them in. Uh, I think that's the main challenge, actually, is just the the attention that's required, the noise and how that might distract the rest of us, and the frustration that parents might feel in being engaged in the work. What role do we have to play if we don't have children in worship? Uh, a couple of things uh, quickly. First, uh, we've got to be patient and understanding with these families. I know sometimes it's frustrating. Uh, I know it's especially frustrating when we feel like all of the, the challenges of training children up in worship are, are expressing themselves but we don't actually see the parents doing anything, right? That's when it can really be frustrating. You just want to be like, would you get your kid? At least try to tell them to stop doing that, right? Uh, the leadership of the church is aware of that dynamic at times, and we, we're always working to help parents understand the responsibility they have, right? Uh, and so uh, be patient and understanding. Not only are the children learning, how to worship God, but parents quite often are, are all at the same time learning how to teach their children 
to worship God. Uh, and if again, if you're a parent, and you've, you, especially if you are at the point where you've sent children out into the world, uh, you understand this. You spend most of your years as a parent convinced you have no idea what you're doing. Uh, the parents training children up in worship are experiencing that exact same feeling, right? They, they know it needs to be done. Uh, they want to do it. They're, they're pretty sure they have no idea how. And that's on us as a session, as pastors, to come alongside them and begin to help them figure out how. And like every other aspect of parenting, there will be good days and bad days. You'll do well and you'll do poorly. That's what these parents are going through as they're doing what we've asked them to do, bring their children into worship. And so let's be patient and understanding with them. Let's be thankful. Let's be thankful that God is giving children to the church. Let's be thankful that parents are bringing their children in to teach them how to worship. Uh, there are a lot of things to be thankful for as we see and hear children in worship on Sunday mornings. Let's be helpful. Uh, there are some really practical ways that we who don't have children can come alongside and help those who do. Uh, and that may be in worship itself. You might say to that family that sits in front of you, we love that you're, you're here with your children. We've noticed that, uh, that you're outnumbered. Could we take one of them? Would you like us to help? One or two of your kids can sit with us on Sunday morning, and we're glad to, to, to help them understand how to do this, right? Now, some people may not be well-suited to that. Some people are, are wonderfully suited to it. And so uh, that's one of the ways that you can help. You can also help outside the context of corporate worship. You can, again, all of this in love, right? But you can invite them out for coffee and say, um, we've raised X number of children and raised them up in, in worship, and we've, we've got some best practices. We've seen some things that worked and some that didn't, and maybe the ones that did will work for your kids. Would you, can we share that with you and help you? right? So there's ways that we can be helpful. Be encouraging. Remind the parents that this is right, that this is good, that they're doing the right thing. Uh, remind them that it's, it's only for a season, uh, that a day is coming when those children will worship God well without having to be carried out of the room, uh, and, uh, and there's a day coming when uh, when they'll be able to focus 100% on what's happening in worship again without the, the distraction of, of having to instruct their children as well. So encourage them. Uh, the question might be asked, wouldn't it be better to provide them with their own slate of activities throughout the morning, including during worship? Are there benefits and challenges associated with that as well? And there are absolutely benefits to that, Right. Um, and so the, the benefit of a children's worship service is that you can put everything down on that first or second grade level, and they hear everything all the way through at their level. Uh, that's certainly a benefit of like a children's worship service. I do want to be clear, our children are getting that, right? When, when our children come out of corporate worship and they go down the hallway there is a, a kind of children's worship that happens in there. They sing songs together. Pastor Nathan is down there, and he gives them a, a very short little homily uh, out of the text that was preached on Sunday mornings. He takes something that, uh, that most of them, having been in worship with us, they heard the text read, they heard the sermon preached, and he takes one, one truth out of that sermon 
and he pitches it down at their level and talks to them about how this is true for them and true in their lives. So they're getting what children would normally get in a children's worship service. Uh, and then they, they split up into uh, some sort of age-based groups, and there's a Bible study that's done with them. So they're, our children are getting those things. Um, and so there, though there are benefits to doing that, I don't think we're losing those benefits by having our children in corporate worship together. Um, I'll say this too, uh, and, and I want to say this as carefully as I can, Many of the perceived advantages of children's church are, are advantages for us, right? They're not in here. <laughs> so we don't have to suffer the distraction. Uh, we don't have to strain to hear the pastor because of the screaming of the kid next to us, right? We're not thinking to ourselves, rather than listening to the sermon, how much longer is that kid going to scream before that parent figures out they, they need to go out in the hallway, right? Uh, the advantages to children's churches, they're not here. And so I think there are advantages that are not, a, not legitimate advantages to children's worship. There are advantages that are legitimate advantages, but I think we have captured those same benefits in the way that we minister to our children during the Sunday school hour. So, okay, uh, we've got just a few minutes left. Let me stop. Any questions? Concerns, observations, Graham. No, no, um, I, I, I don't mean to suggest that that's wrong uh, in every case. I would just encourage you to consider whether uh, you might not be a, a person whose experience and temperament is such that you could help that family rather than moving, right? Uh, you might be a person whose temperament is such that please move. Please move. Do what you need to do so that your heart will settle and, and you can pay attention. I'll let you guess which I am. <laughs> no, no. I, the, one of the difficulties is, in, in this whole subject is that we do what we do with significant intention. We have not stumbled into the way that we uh, understand our children and their place in our community and how we minister to them on a Sunday morning. It's very intentional. We believe it's the best way to do it or we wouldn't be doing it. If we thought there was a better way to do it and we had the resources, we would absolutely be doing it that way. But what I'm not interested in doing this morning is criticizing. I don't want you to hear me saying we do it the only way that children could possibly grow up to love Jesus. I know there are other ways to do it, and that's fine. I'm going to trust that the the people God has put in charge in those other churches are faithfully ministering to God according to their conscience and their understanding about what's best. I, I'm not at all concerned about how other churches do it. So I don't want you to hear any of what I've said this morning as criticism of other churches. Uh, I think there's a question of wisdom, certainly. And we're doing our best as leaders here in this congregation to love our children wisely and to raise them up faithfully. 
Uh, and so that's I, what we want you to understand is why we do it the way we do it, and we want you to understand how you can participate in the way that we are ministering to our children. That's the, the concern we've got this morning. So, yes, J.D.? Yeah. It can also be a challenge as a parent if you're sitting near others who have different expectations about that as well. So. Yeah, it's not easy. Um, you know, so in case you, you aren't aware of this dynamic, let me give you an example of why a parent might not jump up and rush out into the hallway with their child who's making a lot of noise. Because children are smart. And they figure out really quickly, if I make a lot of noise, they take me out in the hallway. And I don't want to be here. I want to be out in the hallway, right? When I'm out in the hallway, they let me run around and do whatever I want. So I'm going to do the thing that gets me out in the hallway. So for parents, there's this tension. There's a point at which they need to go out. And part of that dynamic is parents learning what to do out in the hallway, right? You, you don't hand them a cup of, like, goldfish and a ball to play with out in the hallway, right? We don't want to reward them. They're, so th- there's a lot of learning that has to be done for parents in that. But understand, there's this dynamic there that the parent knows, on the one hand, my child's being a distraction, and we're probably not going to recover while we're sitting in here. We need to go out in the hallway. And on the other hand, when we go out in the hallway, there's a sense in which if I'm not careful about how I handle this, I'm rewarding the behavior, right? So parents are struggling with all of these things. One of the things that's really important to us as leaders, and, and this, this may be the one thing I want you to hear as a, uh, a member of our corporate worship who's not personally responsible for your own children. As leadership, there are two dynamics that are possible for parents with young children in corporate worship. Parents who are bringing their children in and letting their children do whatever they want. And parents who are bringing their children in and are trying to raise them up, to instruct them, to teach them. I want you to understand the difference between the children in the first group and the second group may not be observable, right? We're not, we, we are thrilled if parents are bringing their children into worship and doing their best. Kids may still be a distraction. They may still be noisy. But the parents are trying. We're, we're going to lean into that all day long and encourage them and, and, and help them and do everything we can. Where we as leadership are going to probably become more intentionally involved earlier is when we have parents bring children into the room and then just letting their kids do whatever they want. That's, that's a problem. We want to come alongside that family and help them. Help them to understand that they need to be training their children up. Help them to understand how to be training their children up. Be offering resources to them, both in terms of ideas and in terms of us, brothers and sisters in Christ, who will come alongside them and help them with that. Uh, and so, that's, for us, that's an important distinction. Uh, in terms of what's needed in, in a particular family, right? So, okay, anything else? Libby? Quick thing. Um, have you ever uh, discussed a little children's bulletin or a little thing for, for notes for children for the sermon? I mean, not like a completely separate bulletin for children. Sure, like yeah. Something simple to where it kind of ties 
Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, we, uh, the point at which we've discussed that in the past, we did not have the resources to make it happen, but we, we've grown enough to where at this point I think we could. So since you are normally in staff meetings on Monday morning, if you'll bring that back up when we're together for staff on Monday. And I wouldn't want to take away from Sunday school either. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anything else? Okay. We're out of time. I'm going to close this in prayer. Next week, we'll pick up in Hebrews where we left off last week. And uh, if you have other questions or ideas or thoughts, we're, we're always happy to receive those. So let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the little ones that you've given to this congregation and to your broader church. We thank you for the reminder that they are, uh, that we are not the only generation of the church that ever will be or has been. We ourselves have been children at one time and faithfully were brought up for those of us who grew up in the church. Uh, Father, we have a responsibility in joy and love to bring up the next generation to know you and to love you. Uh, And Father, they in turn, if Christ tarries, will bring up a generation after them. And so we pray that uh, we would do well, uh, that we would do well for your glory, uh, that we would do well uh, for the love of our children and that this church, All Saints, would continue faithfully, uh, filled with worshipers who know Christ, who are trusting Christ, who are grieved by their sin and repenting of that sin, who are loving one another well and patiently. Uh, We pray that that would continue until Christ does return. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.